Welcome to the WP Tonic This Week in WordPress and Tech Podcast, a roundtable discussion with leading WordPress and tech experts, hosted by Jonathan Denwood. Welcome back, everyone, to This Week in WordPress and Tech. This is episode number 684. I will be your hostess with the Moses today. My name is Stephanie Hudson, and I represent Focus WP. Would you like to meet today's panel? Why don't we go around the room? But I won't require you guys to know whose turn it is, because I know you can't handle that. Uh, let's start with John Locke. John from Lockdown SEO. Spencer. Hey, it's Spence from WPLaunchify.com. And Rob. Our special I'm, guest. I'm well. Thank you. I'm Rob from Microconf. Miss Heather. I'm Heather Wildrenzi, CTO of the Difference Consulting. And our fearless leader. <laughs> it's Jonathan David from WP Tonic. <laughs> Maybe he has some fears. I don't know. I thought he was fearless. All right. Uh, why don't we take just a quick minute? We're going to hear from our major sponsors. We'll be right back. Hi there, folks. I just wanted to tell you about our major sponsor, and that's Castos. If you're looking to get into podcasting for yourself or for clients, you need a top quality podcasting platform. And that's what you get with Castos. It has a superb interface, really easy to use, and you're not penalised for success. They have a flat rate pricing structure. Don't matter how many podcasts you make, how many downloads you achieve, you are just pray at one fixed rate with Castos. Plus there's support and just the quality of the people are just amazing. Hi there, folks. I want to tell you about one of our great new sponsors, and that's BlogVault. If you're a WordPress professional, you know the importance of having backup. I know that many hosting providers provide a great backup service, but normally they only provide 30 days of backup. And if your client site is hacked, it might be hacked for months before you or your client realizes that you've got a major problem. So what is the solution? Well, I use this product myself. I use BlogVault. BlogVault is the Rolls Royce of backup solutions. You do one full website backup, including the database, and that is stored off-site. So you're not using any hosting resources. And then any updates to the website are backed up not the whole website or the whole database, only the changes. So that really um, reduces bandwidth and hosting usage of your backups. It also is superb, great interface, great support. You get a free staging site with it as well. And migrations, moving your client's website to one hosting provider to the other, is just simple and flawless. I've been using BlogVault for years myself. You should be using it. It is the best solution when it comes to WordPress backups. I'll see you soon, folks. Bye. And we're back. Thank you, Spencer. Thank you, Rob. Thank you, Heather. Thank you, Spencer. Thank you, Rob. 
we're back, everybody. Uh, Castos and Blog Vault have some special offers. We've got some other cool things you can check out. Recommendations from the from the panel, recommendations from the tribe, all kind of cool things from our sponsors, wp-tonic.com slash recommendations. So let's dive in to this week's stories. We've got, we're, we're going to visit with some of our old friends this week. We've got all kind of fun things. We're going to talk about our friend Elon. We're going to talk about our good pal Elizabeth. We've got all kind of cool things coming up. First up, let's talk about some WordPress news. There wasn't tons of WordPress news this week, so but the first article is um, in WP Tavern, WordPress contributors host 6.0 walkthrough did anybody have a chance to watch the walkthrough no i did not okay this is gonna be a great discussion then since everybody shook their head no so uh heather what do you think about them doing this little informal walkthrough of new features i actually think it's really helpful Uh um, we can't hear you oh, oh no you can't oh, hear okay. me I, well, I, I hear you I yeah okay i hear, I hear. all oh, right can. i can't yeah. hear anybody all of a sudden That's i'm loud how are you right. loud? Okay, cool. Well, out. <laughs> uh, I think it's helpful when companies do these kinds of walkthroughs um, because uh, for the people that are really interested in learning about new features, uh, um, whether we watch them right away or come back to them later, which is generally what I do, like if I'm trying to um, figure out something, um, I'll, I'll watch it later and then skip to to the thing that I'm actually interested in and watch it at like two times speed. Um yeah, I mean, I, I think it's it's great that they've done this, and um, there are a lot of nuggets uh, that are useful in these kinds of walkthroughs. And I mean, also in in WordPress six, there there are a lot of things coming up. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, I mean, and 120 people actually showed up for a live Q and A, which I mean, I think that's kind of amazing right now in uh, in like like zoom fatigue land. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's, I think it's great. Well, Stephanie doesn't have some audio right now, so should we <laughs> pass it to the well, next? I'll be, I'll be to, Jonathan. Shall I jump in, Stephanie, until you sort out your problems? Uh, um, well, um, I, I kind of listened to Rob's last pod, podcast, Rob, and you were talking about how you deal with um, legacy software and, new features and i think it's kind of relevant you know my you know i'm supposed to going to be a down there again that's my purpose isn't it you know maybe i've got a suggestion of automatic and the gutenberg team maybe they should sort out the existing problems before they go on to a new, a new set of features uh um, i think they need to listen to your podcast rob they need words of advice and support rob i mean geez it's i i don't I don't know. I don't know. When I think of like having a, what is it? A, is it a 20 year old code base now? 18 yeah. year old? Yeah. Um, I mean, that's, it must be annoying. How many it? pieces of web software these days are that old? It's like Salesforce. There, there aren't that many. Even Basecamp is only 17 years old. So it's like, it has to be the fact that they can ship anything is kind of miraculous. I'm going to be honest. I mean, I almost, I know. I kind of give them credit for getting, it says 400 updates and 500 bug fixes in a single release. When I think of that as a SaaS founder, we would never do that because we can deploy every day, right? We would, we would deploy like one bug fix and one, you know, one uh, feature because we have the luxury of 
it runs on our servers. And so when I think about the, this having to manage such a large code base, an old code base, and to not break anything, and to only be able to do a release, what do they do it every six months or a year? Like that is, that, there's a lot of challenges there. A lot of challenges I, with that. I was thinking about that the other day. And um, like, I come from an aerospace background, like I'm a mechanical engineer. So um, I think of everything in terms of like a hardware release. And so this doesn't seem that weird for me that that WordPress does this, like, because they're, they're honestly, they have to think about the hardware that they're installing on. Um, and they have to support so many different types of systems. So um, if you think about it from like a mechanical engineering perspective, rather than a SaaS platform perspective, then it totally makes sense their release cycle. Exactly. It's like desktop software. All right, you guys, I'm back uh, and I can hear. Can you guys say what yeah, everything you just yes. said again really quick? <laughs> what I miss? You don't need, you don't oh, need, you don't need to hear what I said. It was nothing. <laughs> uh, all right. Where are we? Are we still talking about WordPress? Yeah. Yeah, Spencer, Spencer, what do you think? Spence. Well, I will add in the politics of the the fork in the road. So I would agree with like both what Heather and Rob said. It's interesting. I've been in WordPress since it started, literally. And I remember you could literally look at the PHP on a one of those like C panels and go like, oh, this little B2 thing is kind of clever. Um, but here's the thing. We're at another juncture right now where 6.0 is really relevant. And that has to do with how the metaphor of building stuff on WordPress is going to go. And I'm in by hook or by crook at the heart of this battle and constantly having these public conversations arguing that we need this framework to move all of the stuff away and say, how are we going to do this going forward? So the code base of WordPress 6.0 is fundamentally about Gutenberg. And it's about whether we're going to do full site editing or whether we're going to do a canvas theme where people make components that are blocks into patterns. And I think that's the real issue of how amazing this is, because we as a community can actually affect the change that happens with the core. When you look at the actual, nobody would do this, but like if you write code and you look at the, the repository and all the bug fixes and how they handle it, it's, an incred- it's like an anthill right? With like a thousand ants going in and out of every day. You're like, oh my God. And everybody just grabs a piece of food and goes in and out of the hill. And somehow it keeps working. But none of those people are managing from the top down. What is this thing going to be next? And right now we're in that space where I would argue that's the most critical part about the future direction. Because a SaaS company, a for-profit SaaS company would never do the lack of direction that's happening now. And the fact that like Matt kind of goes, hey, and somebody goes, hey, but you see all the independent financial interest pulling things in their direction is causing a lot of stress because those who build on this realized I will wake up one day and version 6.0 will come out. It will break all of the stuff that I built for my client or Elementor will do that independently because they have like their little finger into the, the pie. And so I think getting clarity on that would be one of the most important benefits of a 6.0 release of like, what's the game, guys? What are we going to do here? That's it. I mean, no, there's no easy answer because there's no top-down hierarchy. We have to all argue with the megaphone for my idea makes more sense. Come join me in this idea. Yeah, yeah the, the, the only person that hasn't commented, Stephanie, is John. So, John, if you want. Yeah, um, yeah I, I think it's uh, some of the things that are being added in this one 
that are kind of useful, like um, templates for categories, tags, taxonomies, uh, web fonts, API. Those things look to be pretty useful. Block locking is another thing that um, Eric uh, Karkovac uh, said, too. So I, I think that this release will be a, a really big release, and I think this is an important release. Uh, some of the features are coming in. We'll be able to replicate some of the, uh, the features that we can already do with code. So I think it'll be good in pushing it forward. Block locking. Wasn't that like a hip-hop dance move in the 90s? I'm pretty sure. Blocks, hey. to, blocks to Men, I think, was the name of the <laughs> Uh, all right, guys, why don't we move on to our next story since I missed almost all of that and I have no idea how to even follow up because I didn't hear half of it. So let's move on to our next article in Yahoo Finance. Uh, Shopify announces a 10 for one stock split, proposes founder share for the CEO. What do we think of this? Rob Walling, what do you think about that founder share situation? I feel like if you don't want to be a public company, don't go public. I mean, this is essentially someone having a public company but wanting to retain private rights. They want to give him 40% voting. And this is not how the public markets, I think, are designed for. You know, that's not what they're designed for. They're designed to have a lot of folks with ownership and you have to essentially get them on board. Um, I don't know, maybe I'm but just But they said he's got a great track record. I'm sure he'll use yeah. it very responsibly. Right, because CEO power has never, uh, never. you know, Mark, Mark, we all look at Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg <laughs> has never, like, you know, um, been, been a problem. Use that power? No, no. Uh-uh. not once. No once. Uh. What could go wrong there? Uh, Heather, what do you think about this situation? So, yeah, I mean, the the stock split is... Interesting. Um, this this tells me that they are um, they're trying to protect themselves f- from like yeah they're they're trying to protect themselves as they get bigger. Um, and even with the uh, founder shares, uh, they're basically protecting themselves as well from uh, their CEO going crazy. Um, basically, it's he only gets the founder shares until he would uh, get an executive position or a board position. Um, so like if they decide someday that he they want to oust him, then his founder shares go away. Um, if they decide that they like if they decide to move him from the position that he's in, his founder shares go away. So he has to keep the company on a good track. Um, so I think it's very smart of them to do this, but it's also suspect. Smart and suspect. Spence, what do you think? This is I, I, I was reading about a comparable article that I think Rob just mentioned too with like Mark Zuckerberg's unique class share. But like this reminds me of the movie Wall Street, you know, with the Blue Star Airlines. It's like greed for the lack of better word is good. And so basically public company, we're going to do it exactly as we want because we're the ones shuffling all the cards on the table. And I think this is just exemplary of the kind of shenanigans that go on because like, the whole thing going on in this last week with uh, Twitter being allegedly bought, not being bought by Elon Musk. And then Mark Don't Cuban. Don't jump our stories. In. Don't jump I know, our but stories. But I'm saying like Mark Cuban pitching in, like he's playing all you guys because he can say this, move all the stock. Like normal people get to witness how the real world of finance works. The real world of capital works. This is what goes on. And we just delude ourselves sometimes into thinking that, you know, it's a fair playing field. You can certainly make money 
but you never really are in control of what happens. So surprises can happen overnight. So who knows? I mean, it's an interesting conversation for the majority of people makes no difference, but it's indicative of the fact, you know, Toby Lutke is an amazing force to be reckoned with, with this company and what he's done. So he deserves everything he's entitled to. But the the way they structure public shares is just, this is kind of silly. I mean, insulting. Jonathan, Jonathan, do you have uh, some feelings on this? I th- well, yeah, well, it's talk about have your cake and eat it, you know, like what Rob said, you know, you know, there's no shortage of liquidity in the private market now. Um, you know, it's just disgraceful, really, the whole idea. And, you know, founders, no, they're super shares. The reason why they're calling it founder is the PR department got hold of it. And they know that if you call it super shares, it's got all the connotations with Facebook. And, and they don't want they don't want that, but the whole thing is intellectually suspect at its core. You know, if you want if you want control, you, you know, do what Dell did and Michael Dell go private. You know, go private again if you feel like they want it both ways, basically, Stephanie. It sounds by the way, just. I don't interrupt, John, but like, the thing that's different about this and the next story is that Twitter may not have executed on what everybody would believe is a good monetization strategy, i.e. charging big-name people like Mr. T and all the rest for being on there. But Shopify clearly makes money. I mean, it's clearly a profitable company. So I find that an interesting difference when you've got a profitable company, the behavior of their shareholders and their board versus like a company that's not executing on what they could be doing. It's kind of linked. I, I was I was discussing it with John with our previous show last week about automatic, and I looked at, up how much automatic has taken in its rounds from the VC community. It's nine hundred and not oh, almost one billion dollars. If you add up all the rounds of investment that automatic have taken. It's mind-boggling that the founder of Automatic has, out of the professional VC community, got almost a billion dollars out of them. It's just mind-numbing. When you look at Shopify and out the kind of returns they've managed, and you look at the billion dollars out the founder of Automatic has managed to get out of these people. It's the a transactional company Fast that was making a play for one-click checkout flushed $500 million down the toilet, and their, their monthly run rate was only $50,000. Somehow that guy got away with hiring 500 employees, flushing $500 million down the toilet in a short order, and... And they just like, okay, sorry, shut the doors all over. The last time I saw that happen was with that company Color years ago, that app. And that, that's the kind of bullshit. We were still got uh, the, the office space guy and his wife doing yoga on their billion dollars of we free were- money. Like that shit happens all the time. That shows how wild west this is. It is like Wall Street. Like, oh, we lost a billion. I'll make it up tomorrow, Larry. You know. Fun, fun fact is that Fast raised more money than Shopify. Did yeah. now Shopify when they went public they raised more, but it, from private from private VCs, it's incredible. There's no correlation between profitability, good business, or common sense. It's just who knows the right people. And fastest founder was amazing at raising money, 
and spending it on things like hiring rock bands and, you know. Well, obviously I've, obviously I've got to be a little bit careful. That, that's me saying it. Obviously that particular company, uh, um, how it was, you know, obviously I think obviously the authorities are going to, I would have thought are going to be looking at that particular company with interest. I think that's as far as I would want to put it. Um, but there we go. No, when is WB Tonic raising around so yeah. we can have more entertainment um, on these shows? Yeah, let's let's jump to the next one. But like, if if I would suspect that if we'll hire some uh, pop lockers, some yeah, pop lockers. if if uh, WordPress dot com was its own separate company uh, or automatic, and it was going against Shopify, Shopify would blow it out of the water. I see that as being. Not Wix or Squarespace, also them, but I, I, I see that one as being one of their biggest competitors because, you know, WooCommerce is a direct competitor and Shopify is, is doing a lot of gain in the CMS market. Anyway. Just just to from a BC perspective, like if they've taken one billion in in capital, then that means the VCs are expecting to make over the lifestyle lifetime of their investment, they're expecting to make one hundred billion dollars out of that investment, at least. So that shows you how much money they think is in this ecosystem. Yeah, Do you agree? It does. Yeah. Yeah. I tell you that is what they're looking um, how it's going to be achieved is going to be interesting, isn't it, Eva? But that's what they're expecting. I was, I just didn't realise when you, it's all on Wikipedia. It's not, it's all out. I just got it on Wikipedia. But when you add up all, all the funding events that automatically have gone through, it's all, it's not quite, but it's almost to a billion dollars. It's just really quiet, and I don't think they've got any. I don't see any clear plan of of how you really monetize it. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I just don't. And I think it was linked to our last week's story about WordPress.com because I I think there's some voices that saying, "How are we going to monetize it? How are we going to um, get a return?" for the investment that's been poured into this thing. And I just don't see any clear roadmap. I, I just don't see it. It's going public, <laughs> right? That would be the liquidity event. I mean, at this point, they're big. Who's who's going to acquire them, right? Someone would have to buy them for a lot of money. Um, I don't see Matt selling. So does that, is WordPress or Automatic, are they public with their revenue top line? Anyone know? No, I don't think okay. they are. Because, you know, valuations have calmed down a little bit in venture right now. Um due to recession fears or whatever um, and inflation. But six, 12 months ago, people were raising it 100 times ARR. It was crazy. You know, normally it's like 10, like 10 to 20 is a decent range. But I mean, there were some raises. I think Fast was like this. Well, I guess Fast had no ARR, right? And raised 100 something million. So, but, but there were like, it was not uncommon to be in that 50 to 100 times your annual revenue. So, that's uh, we should. I know we need to move on to the next story, but that just gives you an idea of how crazy. That's, that's the, the nature of the problem. Is this? I spent a long time in the real estate investment world, right? As a developer, twenty-five years. When I started, interest rates were fourteen percent, and market cap rates were ten. You get a ten cap, and you had to work for it. When interest rates go down to below three percent, and everybody has cash because there's nowhere to even 
buy a bond or get a, a return on a normal investment other than the, the stock market. Now it puts this on extraordinary casino pressure on the market. And that's what we're seeing with things like this, because there's no real big fish to swallow WordPress, is there? Like there's no, I have $100 billion laying around, chomp, chomp, I'm going to buy up what they bought. So instead, you're going to have this freemium model circa 2005 that like, well, we just own all of the eyeballs. Eventually, we'll figure it out. And what's happening is these little experiments like WordPress.com a week ago where hey, let's get rid of all the freeloaders because it's getting really expensive times 100,000 people to keep them around. And, and those things go up and down with the market forces. But I think that WordPress is interesting only insofar as that it's very sticky when people have their code in there, but it's not sticky because of a monetization reason, right? It's not like when you have a Stripe account, like you just, they're going to have a piece of you forever, but like WordPress, you can always migrate off. And so it'll be an interesting ride for sure. Guys, let's move on to our next story. Uh, if you have, if you are listening to this uh, out there, tribe, by the way, feel free to put your thoughts. What do you think about this article? This seems to be a hotly disputed one today pop your comments in to the chat any wherever you're watching or listening uh, and we'll uh jonathan will be monitoring all of this we'll right <laughs> oh, we'll right yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right next up we're gonna go over to the verge.com and talk about this article elon musk offers to buy twitter in takeover attempts oh elon you guys probably, I don't know. I don't know how you guys feel about him. I can't ever remember. You guys hate everybody, so you probably do. But I, I love watching Elon Musk. I think he's so fun. Nah. Well, John is like, yeah, uh. yeah. No. Nah. <laughs> well, look. For do you need one, to take like a minute, the, the, John? Do you no, need to calm I, down? For no. the, you got it? The, the, the Twitter thing is the pump and dump because he, he bought 9% and then floated the idea that he was going to buy the rest of the company at a higher price than it's valuated. Then he dumped billions of shares for a profit. So it's a pump and dump. Um, but the reason, one of the reasons why the Twitter board didn't want him on is because he's under investigation by the SEC. He's already broken some rules about buying more than 5% of a company without disclosing it. But the bigger thing is if you look at like things uh, that he's in trouble for at Tesla with um, fostering a culture of segregation and racism. He's actually being sued by the state of California uh, for this. Uh, black employees being called all kinds of vile things, uh, being segregated, um, and things that he posts himself on his own Twitter account, uh, which are vile and kind of um, it just kind of disgusting. Um, so you know, I, I, I don't really have any respect for him, um, but I, I know that other people might see him differently. But yeah, Can I say something, Stephanie? Yep. Um, uh, I'll allow it. Yes. Yeah, Go ahead, Jonathan. Yeah. Well, I, I, I'm not – I agree with most of what John said, but it, they say history doesn't repeat itself, but there's definitely echoes because I see Elon as very similar to Henry Ford. Very similar kind of, there's a good part of Elon and there's the bad point, bad side. And I think that's like us all. There's all, always a good side and a bad side of us all. Um, it's just when you get that kind of money and public persona, it just gets amplified. But 
Like Henry Ford, Henry Ford was seen as the classic entrepreneur inventor industrialist that started the modern age, the modern American age, right? But there was a real bad side to Henry. There was the side he was a totally vermin anti-Jewish individual that financed a whole magazine. He financed the whole thing. Every episode, every monthly was filled with the most vile anti-Jewish propaganda possible. And he was a supporter of Nazi Germany, of Hitler. There was a real dark side to Henry. Um, And I'm not saying that Elon is anything like Henry, but there definitely are echoes. There's the good side of Elon, the developer of Tesla, the SpaceX, the entrepreneur, but there's a real dark side to Elon as well, and we're seeing it. Isn't there a dark side to everyone who is in that position, though? It's it's nuts. Like you see, it's almost like in order to achieve the level of success that they that they do. You look at, you know, sure, Henry Ford, okay. Thomas Edison, okay. Okay. A- any of these. He what? Just, he, he posted uh, uh, a meme with the NPC character. I don't know if you know memes, but it's like an NPC character with Ukraine flag and then all kinds of pride flags behind it saying, I support the current thing. And But he specifically picked out pride flags. Then he uh, posted this other meme. I don't know if you know the meme where the guy is like he's standing in or sitting in different like locations by himself. But it's uh, uh, Netflix waiting for the Ukraine war to end so it can post a movie about a Ukrainian uh, black soldier that falls in love with a transgender uh, Russian person. I mean, what kind of why? I mean. And it, I know that a lot of people give him a pass because he has a lot of money, so we perceive him as being successful, so he must be righteous. But this is who he is I, underneath I don't think anybody that. says that, for starters, yeah. Like, nobody but, thinks having a lot of money makes you righteous. <laughs> yeah. It's just things that yeah, I think that a lot of people don't see. I, I mean, okay, so, his, I mean, if you take it face value, if you actually, I mean, forget, like, all of the nefarious things about uh, this whole Twitter deal. And, and, uh, I mean the, what he's the pump and dump potential and and all of that and pretend for a second that he actually is honest and genuine about wanting to take over Twitter. Um, think about like, okay, the man's a libertarian and the idea that he wants, like that he would actually want to buy a company that would give him basically, uh, today's newspaper and take it private so that he wouldn't have to answer to any board, like any fiduciary responsibility, any, any of that. So he would now be able to have his own, like he would be the new, um, uh, like Hearst. Yeah. Hearst. Like if, if he really is genuine about wanting Twitter he would have his own, like, he could be Rupert Murdoch in, like, a month. Also, what is this weird thing about the 420 stuff that he does? 
Like that's I, I such can, a ti- tiny, tiny little element of this story, no, but it's such, like such a weird. Also, like that's so weird that he has to include. No, he's like, just he's just a juvenile frat boy, and like yeah, exactly. That that's just. I mean, he's just showing everybody. I mean, the same reason that he has like Kotaku memes as his like Twitter avatar every now and then. Like, <laughs> I, I mean, he just he's showing you that he's like actually still a nerd. Uh, For like, sure. Yeah. And. Yeah, juvenile is the right word for the, for the like he's making jokes about buying you know spending billions of dollars and throwing in a little. I mean, and you you the, also you can't it, yeah. you can't forget that he is severely autistic. Like I mean, like no matter what, he's severely autistic, and uh, he does not know how to actually communicate with real people. On Read a, the room, Elon. <laughs> Like, so this is him trying to communicate like by like he gave, he probably did a 420 joke once like 30 years ago people laughed and somebody laughed at it yeah and now like he does it <laughs> all the time because that's like what autistic people do so what's his role thing well, so i was going to chime in with that um uh, he's on the autism spectrum which is why whenever i've seen his tweets and i haven't seen any of the stuff that john Locke was talking about um so i i i just have always marveled at him as like a modern day tony stark right he's he's stark industries and and i'm not the first to make that analogy right but um so i've admired what he's built from a distance haven't really given him a ton of thought i don't follow him on twitter i don't super pay attention to what he does but when he says when he comes up with an idea of we're gonna have a boring company or i have an idea of building a what is it a super high-speed train or we can just bore underneath la and put in subway and then people go do it it's just incredible like i don't know many minds that are thinking yeah, that rob, far outside the box Dane, but rob what about this pump and dump he's already been in hot water once for a pump well that's and the dump. thing is why would he doesn't need the money. Let's say he pumps and dumps and makes a billion dollars, two billion dollars. He's already worth a hundred and fifty. Why would he do that? And that's what I don't understand. It just is he doing it for the lulls, or is he doing it, you know, for again, like being on the spectrum? Back to Heather's point, it it can shift the way you interact with people, right? It can shift your thinking is so different than it's neuro. Uh, there's neurotypical and there's neurodiversity. And the further you get in, my, uh, my eldest son has autism. And the free, yeah. further you get into neurodiversity, people sometimes do weird things that we, that normies don't understand. I don't understand why my son, you know. So I'm not excusing Elon's behavior and I'm not an Elon advocate, nor am I, have I been an Elon detractor um, to date. I just kind of watch what he does and say, what's, what's going to happen next? And if the SEC, if, if he runs into problems with the SEC again, um, that's going to be a real problem for him. Yeah. I, one of my favorite bonkers Elon things was when those miners are the not miners, but they were stuck. Those kids were stuck in the mine and he was like, I'll mail you a submarine. And he just like sent a submarine, little tiny submarine to like try and get him. Like what you're saying, it's like watching a movie or a cartoon or something. It's just so insane. I agree with you. Like I'm, I'm the same. Like I'm not for or against him. I just, it's like entertainment to watch the things that he does. And, and then, then the guy who actually, actually rescued him, he, and the guy, what happened to the guy that actually rescued him? He said, that guy's a pedo. And then he tried to get a journalist to write up that he was a child rapist. Yes, it's this true. happened. Go look it up. John Johnson. No, no, I know. It's true. It's true. What does Spencer think? I think what happens, I mean, despite his personal quirks, you can look at lots of the billionaires, the Jack Dorseys and uh, all the rest of them. They, they all have odd behaviors. And there's lots of stories how, first of all, money magnifies your 
your existing problems or mm-hmm. benefits, whatever you want to call it. And we've seen that in some cases like Tony Shea that like unfortunately amplifies it in a, in a wrong direction. But with Elon, he clearly always had the capability to dream outside the scope of what normal people think about, which may be, again, his, his unique gift. And he's brought us lots of amazing things that aren't necessarily financial. Like Jeff Bezos may be, you know, marketplace stuff, but Elon's literally changing how we might go to other planets or how we might have vehicles and get rid of the carbon economy. So I, I give him credit for that. But when you take somebody who succeeded and then they have all that money and then they magnify those tendencies they have, you get really, you know, Hollywood style behavior out of them. And that's what's going on now. I mean, he can throw around a hundred million dollars like you and I lay a 20 on the table at a coffee shop. So it's not surprising to me that he's playing these these fun games like, hey, SEC, da, da, da. And these memes, while sort of unfortunate and disgusting, are also the behavior of somebody who's like in the Henry Ford category, Carnegie, the rest of them. They all have the tendencies to view people as compartmentalized, like you're smarter, you're not smart because of this, that, and the other reason. And, um, I, you know, like there's no conclusion to any of this because we're not going to change it. And when you're the number one or number two or number three most wealthy person in the world, you're pretty well untouchable. I mean, there's virtually nothing that can take him down other than well, his. That's the problem. I don't, I don't think anybody should be untouchable. And um, that's the whole well, point. But we, we've, we've built a society, a capitalist society around that. And the alternative is what's happening with Putin. Like, you know, he's untouchable, but only because he's like a gangster. So we either have capitalism and you're untouchable because you play by the rules as they're written and twerk people. Or you're untouchable because you build up a mafioso-style government. And I don't think the alternative to capitalism is very attractive. Well, I think there's a, personally, there's a third way, but there we go. Yeah, but that's like you and I in a dream world. I mean, yeah, maybe we'll all advance as human beings to that point because we, we need help. But it would be great to get there. But capitalism and, and communism don't exist in the spiritualism world, unfortunately. They're opposing forces to a certain degree. Uh, <clears throat> Rob, do you have any final thoughts on this before we go on to our break? Oh, I was going to dive into the, the Theranos story. No, I think that oh, that sums second. it up. And I, just hold, I, yeah, hold no, on, I, we'll get there. I appreciate John for sharing the Elon's tweets that he mentioned uh, in the chat so we can check them out. That's in our private chat. So maybe we'll share some of those in the comments on the video uh, if you want to, John. Um, all right, guys, we are going to take a quick break. We're going to let everybody cool down for a second after this heated discussion about our pal Elon. And we are going to just take a quick break to hear from our sponsors again. Hi there, folks. Are you looking to build modern shopping cart landing pages using the power WooCommerce for yourself or for clients? And you want to do that quickly with little need to know about hand coding. Well, if the answer is yes, and it should be, I've got the perfect answer for you, and that's Launch Flows. Launch Flows is the most modern and easiest way of building modern landing shopping pages for your clients. It also works natively with Gutenberg and the leading page builders like Alamator or Divi. It's really flexible, really powerful. I'm Bertha, an AI-based writing assistant to help you write better content on your WordPress website. 
In just a few clicks you can ask me to help you write outstanding content for your website that's guaranteed to convert. From blog posts to landing pages, to product pages. Never be left with that blank page again. You can try me for free on Bertha.ai. See you soon. And we're back. Now, uh, there's a little something else I wanted to tell you guys about. 10 a.m. Pacific on Fridays coming up, you are going to get to hear two of your pals here, Jonathan Denwood and Spencer Foreman, are going to be doing a live YouTube show called The Funnel Machine. And they are going to be reviewing and going through funnels. And if you would like to have your funnel reviewed live on air, you can submit it to them and they will uh, tell you what you're doing right and wrong. Go to the WP Tonic YouTube page to check it out, 10 a.m. Pacific on Fridays. And now, Jonathan, we're going to move on to one of our favorite stories. Eli. I'll do the voice, Stephanie. I'm not do... doing it today. Oh, please do the voice. this is about Sunny. Listen, this is about Sunny. Please do the voice, Stephanie. Please do the voice. Listen, Jonathan, you don't need to talk about the voice. You need the, uh, blonde, you need the blonde wig, though. I do. Uh, so this article is in the New York Times. It apparently got so much traffic that they put it behind the paywall. Yeah, so yeah. if you didn't read it early, you can't see it now. But basically, uh, it's Sonny's day in court. So tip, tip for the users. New York Times firewall. Hit reload. Hit the stop button real quick. You can read everything. <gasps> Oh, that's such a cheaty thing to do, but okay. I'm not saying you don't have, you don't, you can't pay them. You could pay them if you want. I'm simply saying if you want to see what the story is. If you want to steal it, just do it. You can do that or the reader. It's, oh, please, stealing. Give me a fucking break. I mean, seriously. (laughs) I got the bleep button. Jeez. Man. You you, Stephanie, you just broke my 12-show streak of not swearing. I broke comment. it. Uh, I broke. It's my fault. Okay, I'm I'm sorry, Spencer, that I made stealing you stealing the digital content that is like literally oh. there for anybody to look at. Give me a break. All right, fine. I didn't break oh, into their house. Oh, Dad, Spencer, Man, all right. I've already, I've had two people explode on me today. Let's see if I can make everybody mad. Let's go around the room. Who's feeling hot and feisty now? Let's talk about Sonny Balwani for a minute. He's going to go to court. Is it humanly possible for him to have a fair trial after everything that has been in the news? And there has been an entire miniseries made about this whole situation. Uh, Jonathan, come on, tell us what you think. You know, yes, you it's um, obviously feelings. the um, I'm Joel Citizen. I'm British and American, but I grew up in Britain. And there's good points and bad points about both legal systems, but I find this really bizarre. Mostly the Whigs in Britain, though. Yeah, the Whigs, all the old tossers. Uh, um, but uh, <laughs> but I find this uh, this bit about the American legal system really odd because in Britain, if you're accused of a criminal charge, there's a total media blackout until the trial and the result. No media outlet in the UK, apart from the basic facts, Mr. Denwood has been arrested and will be trialled at this date. There's no comment until the trial. The idea, you know, that this individual can get a fair trial after a mini-series of eight episodes that we watched by six million people 
about his shenanigans and what he got on with Elizabeth, that somehow he can get a fair trial now. I think it's bizarre. I just, I find the whole thing, I found the story of the technology story of Elizabeth and him and the whole thing fascinating. Well, amazingly, not everybody has Hulu. And they are going to be able to find... Somebody? Yeah, they are going to be able to find a jury for this. When they do the voir dire, that's going to be the questions. They they interview people that's the voir dire, and they say, "Well, what do you do this? What do you do that?" And they'll that'll be like question number one. Will be do you do you have Hulu? Netflix (laughs) or whatever was it Netflix or Hulu? I watched it. I can't remember. Hulu. Yeah, but I just find it bizarre that you can have a team that's watched by millions of people and think this this individual is going to get somehow some fair trial. It's just, it, it's mind-numbing for me, but I come from Britain. It just wouldn't be allowed. It just, um, to me, it, um, I want to make it totally clear that I think he's guilty as hell. But Because uh, um, <laughs> you <laughs> watched the miniseries, obviously. No, I've been following it well, well before that. Um, but there we go. Uh, oh, Rob, how do you feel about <laughs> Elizabeth so. and Sonny? So I think, I agree with Heather that I think there are going to be plenty of people who have, like my dad and mom, I bet my mom hasn't even heard of Theranos. She doesn't pay, she's a smart person, but she just doesn't pay attention to the tech press. She pays attention to a completely different world than the six of us on this show. And if I bet if I said the, the word Theranos, Elizabeth Holmes, she would have no idea who I was talking about. My dad has probably heard of Theranos and Elizabeth Holmes, but then would be like, I don't, wasn't there some fraud or something, right? It's like, so I do think that they can find a jury. You think about, I mean, OJ Simpson had a jury trial. Like there are much more, po- I'll say, popular and <coughs> infamous, like cases where where they find people who, you know, hopefully, knock on wood, are unbiased. I really enjoyed The Dropout. I think if folks haven't watched it, they really should. Um, Sonny Balwani, I mean, it's just crazy to me to see how when shit starts going bad, people, the finger pointing of these I'm just going to say alleged criminals. I mean, they, they just, sure. it's instantly just like if they're willing to screw their potential customers, their, you know, people uh, in healthcare, if they're willing to screw their own employees and threaten, the moment that it goes bad, the executives are just turning on each other. Boom, boom. We co founded this company, but suddenly it's like, no, you did it. No, you did it. No, he coerced me. No, she coerced me. I wasn't even the CEO. What would I want? But he forced, you know, and it's just this he said, yeah, she said. And it's healthcare. It's their bloody results. Cancer yeah, no, it was, patients. It is crazy. They just didn't care a damn, did they? They just, they really. The the irony isn't lost that her father was working for Enron either, because I I remember, you know, I was an adult living through the, I was in law school, I think at the time, like the Enron thing was like skilling and lay and the other guy, they were all just like, you couldn't believe the stuff that was going down. So Rob's got a good point. It's like, it's like rats on a ship, you know. Well, you know the saying, it's like they all come out and it's like you see where they're all hiding because like the ship's going down and then everything's like last rat for itself. So he he's, so, by the way, he was played, he in real life is not exactly Brad Pitt, but like he was played by a character who was far less attractive in the movie, which in some sense made him more of a villainous character. I'm not like trying to pick on the actor, but like they didn't like, like Elizabeth Holmes, the the actress was very close and looks and feel. This guy doesn't look like his character, so I wonder if that was. Oh, intentional. no! So Naveen Andrews, like, is super hot when he was. Doing, I mean, he was on Lost. He's. A, I mean, like, so I mean, now that's Naveen, where I knew him from. Yeah. Oh so gosh. like, he's he's. So I mean, 
younger Naveen Andrews, like if if she'd met him when when she was eighteen, like yeah, no, they. they <laughs> don't, you, don't you agree that like in the actual movie, it was sort of like <laughs> they really juxtaposed the the attractiveness and the things of his look and her look to make it like. It, it no, was, it I mean like. It. Any any woman that would know, and so like yes, Naveen Andrews is older now, but like that. I mean, it's just it's just an unfortunate thing that I mean he's in his fifties and whatever, but they can't de-age him. But if you know what he looked like then, <laughs> then then she would have totally been all in. I mean, they had a nineteen year or something age gap too, right? Like they're in real life, they're not matched up. That's right. Yeah, there's a big so, t- t- 20-something years, I believe. This would have been a good role for Kevin Spacey to play. <laughs> what? I have no idea why. <laughs> what <laughs> you mean by that? Because Kevin Absolutely. Spacey most, is Most of the guest panel I have no idea what this is about. Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying, have like, seen, they, they Have you really, seen Sonny Balwani? Like, when I watched the show, <laughs> I couldn't help but thinking he was a sympathetic guy and, like, the way they portrayed him, but the way that they set them apart, I kept thinking, like, they're really emphasizing, like, there's, you know, like, he's fallen under her spell or whatever. And, you know, obviously dramatized for, for the movie. But this guy in real life, you know, he, he's not, like, he's not unreasonable, you know. I think, I mean, higher level, like, what a catastrophic fraud. Because it's not like, you know, we could say fast, someone might say, I don't believe fast is fraud, by the way. I think fast is just irresponsibility. But some could argue, oh, fast is a fraud. But it's... It's a SaaS company they raised from venture capitalists. Yes, some, I'm sure some employees are out of jobs. I'm sure some damage was done. But to talk about, uh, and Ren, I almost said, to talk about Theranos, the, the, put, to put people's health in danger, to just lie, um, you know, and, uh, to lie bald-faced to so many people. And before the dropout, there was the incredible John Kerry Rue book called Bad Blood. And if, if you like the dropout or you want to follow the story like that book, I listened to it on audio. I, could, I had driveway moments where I'd pull into my driveway and I'm like, nope, I'm going to sit here and listen because I don't <laughs> want to go in because I'm so, right? It, it's such a, the style and it's incredibly deeply, deeply triple fact-checked, right? Because he's a New York Times reporter and they didn't want to get sued. So everything is, you know, I'll say as factual as can can it can be or to, to ver- be verified. And yet still the story is like, oh my God, these people... Truly, like the definition of the word sociopath is someone who gives no shits about anyone but themselves or their means. And it's like, I don't want to throw terms around, but it's like, that's what it feels like. When you listen, it's like, who does this? Who does not? Who has so little conscience that this is what you're willing to sacrifice people's health for for your power or gain or finance? I don't, you know, I don't know. I mean, the health, the health part makes it particularly egregious. I can think of like the fire Festival and Enron in the same category of like, you're screwing people clearly for money. And maybe polluting and stuff, but like, yeah, like yeah, this would be maybe. like twenty three and me making just, up results of your DNA tests, like just yeah. like like throwing it down the stairs. No, it's worse than going, that. It's worse than that because it was giving diagnoses that would yeah, were either sure. telling people they had something or not identifying things, and you know, so that is even worse. But <clears throat> uh, at what point, though? I mean, I've said this before when we talked about this article. When you've got something that you believe in, but you need all the funding in order for it to come to fruition, where's the line where you are innovating and then you're committing fraud? Do you know what I mean? Like, there's that line, and it's somewhere, and it's blurry. And when you are so dedicated, and if you, like, let's say, again, like we're doing with these other ones, let's say she really believed 
that that was a thing that could happen and that could help people. Yeah, if you really believe that, when do you, where do you stop? And was, like, at what point do you say like, okay, we're going to hurt people now. We have to stop. And I have to face the facts that I'm billions, yeah. billions the in the hole, you well, know, like that would, I'm, I don't think she's right. I'm just saying like, that's yeah. such a blurry area to me. Well, the fact was that she tried to compare herself to Steve Jobs, but Steve had a had a brilliant technical founder, one of the most at the time a genius as his as his joint technical partner. She it had was. nobody. She had no ability. No, the whole thing was just pie in the sky from the beginning. She did, you know, she didn't even have the sense to find a, a technical partner that stood some chance of doing the job that's not true she found people in the beginning that did but then the more they told her that it couldn't be done that's when she fired everybody and she found somebody that was like i will tell you that this can be done and i'll figure out a way at least to do it so like what she didn't like was people telling her this is five years away this is 10 years away the roseanne sister told her that at the beginning and uh the lady who played the VC or whatever, who's the Rose professor. I can't remember the actress's name, but when she has a conversation, <laughs> you know, from the show Roseanne. That I actress, know exactly who you it, mean. It's Sheldon's That's why I'm mom. Dying. <laughs> the lady who plays Sheldon's mom, she said like, this ain't going to work. It's five years away. She gave her all the things up front and she just, yeah, didn't want to take no for an answer on that. So. Guys, we got to move on. Yeah. We have we have talked this story to death over the past couple months anyway. Uh, the next story we're going to go to is in theatlantic.com. Uh, and it the, the title is Why American Teens Are So Sad, which is um, doesn't sound very techie. But as we get into this, <clears throat> it's talking about um, technology and social media being a contributing factor um what what did you think about this article john <laughs> yeah so yeah oh i thought you meant the uh, other john that went away oh that nope. he walked away no 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 um yeah i mean hmm. they're they're facing down a world where the adults don't care about climate change um the cost of the, the dream of owning a home for millennials or gen z or you know gen alpha i mean it's they'd have to be millionaires just to own a home um the, the i will say that this article says that lgbt it shows like the hopelessness going up and it says well i i don't understand why this is because it's generally more accepted yes and no because you see current day, all these states trying to pass laws like Florida and Tennessee and all these different places that are like, you know, don't say gay, uh, you know, all these places trying to basically roll back the clock on transgender, on gay and lesbian, on on bisexual people, and basically force them back into the closet. Um, Trying, you know, you see politicians trying to repeal the uh, civil rights that have been like uh, one, you know, it, it, social media, all these things were happening, have been happening for decades and decades. The only thing that's changed is the teenagers are more aware of the things that are happening. And we, we all are, if we choose to be, that's the only thing that's different. 
So, John, um, I think in the in that the article though it talks about specifically those sort of um, LGBT and all, all those kind of issues that yeah. teens are facing. But but in the chart that they have pictured there, it shows yep. that those rates of um, like they're using the term sadness, depression, you know, sort of as yep. like a depression synonym, I think. But uh, it's it's going up for everybody. It's not yeah. just those kids that are dealing with this. It's also multiple different races, male, female, right. et cetera. There's an overall increase. Yeah. D- well, d- again, it's you see if you're a kid in high school and you see how the adults are running things. And again, this has always been happening, but all these advances that have been made, like there's there's people like trying to roll them back actively. You see things like, you know, um, the, you know, the, all these politicians trying to roll back laws. Um, you see, you know, if you're a person of color, you see black people being shot by cops. Um, if you're a white person, maybe you feel like the, the country is changing. Maybe you're listening to somebody like Ben Shapiro or something and you're up in arms about that. It could be different things for different people. If you're a woman, I mean, definitely you see what's happening in Texas, in Tennessee, and all these places that are passing laws that basically uh, are rolling back Roe versus Wade as much as they can. So there, there's many things that, that would depress or anger teens yeah. as well as adults. Yeah, but Ro, uh, John, um, I think everything that you said is there's element of truth to it but i think on the technology side i think social media youtube tiktok it you know it's not to be blamed but it has put the truth more out there it's a bit like when the gutenberg press technology um you could print the bible everybody thought it would it would enhance but it, it actually um, it's not that it's not the fundamental reason, but it just puts everything on steroids. And also, I also think the baby, but I'm I'm just on the crest of Generation X. I I think the baby boomer and the Generation X, we do we really need to look in the mirror. I think we got some responsibility from the depressive mess that the next generation, when they look, the millennials and the other generation, what do they see? It's not the it's not the most prettiest picture, is it? You know, I think I would get a bit depressed if I studying in all truth, Stephanie, but maybe that I I'm think, English, I'm dour anyway. So <laughs> I've noticed um even before the pandemic, <clears throat> I was commenting to I'm a I'm a Gen Xer as well, right? So I I don't have kids, but a lot of my friends, my peers, their kids are teenagers. And uh we see I, I would see their kids and I would think like they don't behave like teenagers I've known in any other generation. They 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 don't run in packs like teenagers used to do. They have one or two friends. They don't go out. They want to stay home and FaceTime or or play video games or you know like that that sounds stereotypical but it's it's not it's actually like what they're doing they don't their social skills are so completely and totally different they can't they don't communicate 
the same way. They can't talk to people. They don't look people in the eye. There's, and I've, I've even made the comment. I said like in the next decade, when, when these kids start being the ones that are taking over in the, in business, it's going to be fascinating to see what that, this change in, in like personalities as a, as like culturally kind of what that does to the business world or to other, you know, large entities, politics, things like that, because it's so fundamentally different than any other group of teenagers you read about, hear about, even like way back when. And, and then you stack on top of that, the pandemic. I mean, I'm more anxious and depressed (laughs) after the past two years, aren't you? Like, and if you're a moody teenager with your hormones going crazy, like that's a, that's a big pot of drama stirred up there. That's going to be difficult. Heather, what do you think? You're nodding along. Yeah, I mean, this is uh, like a controversial thing too, but um, all of these high school students and and like teenagers and and even tweens, like one of the things that some studies have shown that they've done, like when they would normally be like socializing and having their first date and first kiss and all that, they were stuck inside during the pandemic. So they all Mm -hmm. turned to porn. And like, they've been watching like, I mean, like really hardcore porn too. So like all of that, like socialization that they would have had um, now that they're starting to come back together, like they have really screwed up ideas of what relationships should be. So, um, and what consent is. So um, like, they think that it should like, I mean, they're all just having really terrible uh, ideas of sexual relationships now at really early ages. Um, So, I mean, it's going to be a really screwed up uh, generation from a socialization standpoint, from a relationship standpoint, from a connection standpoint. Um, Yeah. I mean, it's, there's so many issues that this generation is going to have. Right. And the impact that that's going to have down the line even is because, you know, we look at, you could talk about what happened to baby boomers and then what happened to the, you know, to the next generation and like how that trickles down. So then what comes even after this, you know, like. I think we need to get on to the recommendations. Well, I just think it's going to be like, we're going to usher in Logan's run. That's that's what we're going to have in. (laughs) Oh, that delightful. Right, I bet you need to go to the recommendations, Stephanie. I know. I'm going to go to the recommendations, Jonathan. Sorry. Uh, Sorry. All right. No, I know. It's okay. I'm just trying hey. to be helpful. I, all right, Jonathan Denwood, what's your recommendation for the week? Um, I've got it's a YouTube channel. Um, um, hopefully, she's going to be coming on the round on the, the show um, sometime. I'm in a discussion with her. Uh, um, and she runs her channel. Um, it's a channel called Live Streaming Pro. If you're into live streaming, as we are doing now, it's it gives you loads of tips and insights. I bought a little device so I can do the flames panel. I'm going to have flames and sound effects probably next week. Oh, I'm, my gosh. You know, yeah. I can't wait. Can I have the buttons? Can I do Well, that? you have to buy your own stream uh, deck. You have to right. buy your own stream deck. But I've, I've got some just for Spencer to put him in his place. Nice. John Locke, what's your recommendation right. for the week, my friend? Uh, <clears throat> my recommendation is for this podcast called Work in SEO. Um, it's at workitseo.com. Also want to give a big shout out to all the Starbucks uh, that have unionized. Keep going. 
Spencer. I, I posted two things there. One was a story about a lady who's older who told about how she was eight years old in the 70s and her friend of the family, 19-year-old, left her in the airport at eight years <coughs> old by herself. And she made it home safely. Uh, and that's a good focal comparison to what we were just talking about because, you know, like people are still good and kids are going through a lot, but like the world still has good in it. We just don't hear it. But my recommendation is actually interesting. I was doing my taxes and I stumbled across this talent.com tax calculator where you can see state by state how, it, you know, the cost of living and the overall effective tax rate change. And I was really surprised because you hear all these comments about tax havens in Nevada and Florida and Delaware and all this stuff. But the truth is, it actually was more expensive to live in Idaho, where I have a partner, than it is in Illinois for a relative salary. So it's fascinating just to move the sliders and see the stuff. And I don't know if it's accurate, but it was certainly fun over a cup of coffee. I love it. Rob, what do you got? I'm going to recommend a book. It is called Touching Two Worlds. It is uh, written by my wife. It comes out in two months. And this is her second book. Um, She went through, first one she self-published and this one she went through publisher. Um, But this book is, uh, you know, kind of relates to our last story, to be honest. It's a guide for finding hope in the landscape of loss. And my wife started writing it. She's a clinical psychologist and she started writing it um, as her dad was dying of cancer over the course of 18 months. And then within six months of that, her brother took his own life. And so she, it's, yeah, it was a couple years, I'll tell you. But um, the book started as, as uh, her memoir of dealing with that as someone who is a mental health professional. Um, and, and then it turned into almost, it's not just a memoir, right? It has like tips and, and um, exercises and, and thoughtful things that at, at the end of each chapter to kind of bring it home to, hey, if you're, I mean, it's a book for people dealing with grief. And so if you're dealing with grief or if <clears throat> you have someone who, you know, you know someone who is dealing with grief, that's, that's, what, it's, that's what she wanted to do because she couldn't find another book like it um, out there. Um, <clears throat> my recommendation does not deal with grief in a serious topic like that, but it does deal with uh, how to handle aggression and frustration. And that is something that I had the opportunity to do this past weekend with Heather Wild Renzi herself. And that is we threw axes together. And it was really fun. And it was an excellent stress release. It was the complete opposite. It's a few people that like to throw a axe desk. at me. It was very different. And we did see some teenagers there out and about doing something physical without a screen. And um, I'm putting the link to the one we went to at this super cool place called Area 15, which is very similar to Area 51 and very weird and creepy too. But uh, they have these places all over. And I think it's super. it was super fun and it was very therapeutic. Go, go take out some stress and throw some axes. They Heather, what do you think? They, they you... let you put a picture of your favorite person on the board, right? <laughs> yeah, you could. Yeah. Well, no, it had to be a wet board. And there's actually a video that was taken of me actually getting a bullseye. Boom. The, the only yeah. one that I got. Uh, but and it was, was the only video taken of her. And it yeah. was when she got the bullseye. Yeah. It was you awesome. Got Matthew. Yeah. No, Andrew took it. Um, so, um, for me uh, today, I'm re- recommending the Relief Band. Um, so reliefband.com has uh, these things that uh, you put on your wrist uh, if you get motion sickness. Um, it's amazing to wear. Um, I've had one for like 20 years. They've got like newer versions now. But uh, it's just like if you're 
ever get motion sickness or nausea, um, just wear one. They're amazing. I, had I used one on a cruise when those I got are, super Those are really sick. great. They're like Which five may bucks, or may not yeah. have anything to do with all the champagne the day Spencer before. Spencer put it into Slack. Have yeah, Jonathan, Jonathan, did we hear your recommendation? Yes, you did. You, you did. Okay. But it, wasn't, it wasn't as good as the rest of the panel, Stephanie. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, you can do better next week. There's always next week. Yeah, I could always improve, can't I, Stephanie? Not- hey, everybody. Thanks for showing up. Thanks for listening. Thanks for hanging out with us. Uh, thanks for not yelling at me, for those of you who didn't. And everybody, I hope you have a great week. We will see you next Friday. Bye. Bye. Hey, thanks for listening. We really appreciate it. Why not visit the Mastermind WordPress membership group on Facebook? And if you want to keep up with all the latest news on the podcast, visit wp-tonic.com forward slash newsletter. We'll see you next time.